You're listening to the Leadership Jam Session Podcast, the place where you'll get to hear leaders at all levels of management share their practical solutions to the management challenge you face every day. So let's get ready to jam. I'm your host, Rob Fonte. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Leadership Jam Session. Today's guest is Ken Miller, president and CEO of NASCO Healthcare. Ken prides himself on being a transformational leader with over 30 years of leadership experience. Ken started his career as a sales rep and worked his way up through various positions of increased responsibilities with companies such as Upjohn, Roche, Norvo Nordisk, just to mention a few. Ken's vast executive experience has landed him with leadership positions both domestic and globally as well. Ken, welcome to the Leadership Jam Session. Thank you, Rob. Excited to be part of the Jam Session today. Are you ready to jam? I absolutely am. Let's get it on. All right. So it's great having you on. I know you have a tremendous amount of leadership experience and various different positions that you've been in throughout the years. And I'm curious, why don't we just start a little bit with your leadership journey? Perhaps you can share if there's anything specific that helped shape you as a leader along your journey. Absolutely, Rob. Well, thank you again for allowing me to participate in the jam session. I'm really excited to be part of it. What really shaped my leadership development was my mom. My mom was my absolute greatest cheerleader, as well as my greatest critic. I can recall back when I was in elementary school, and my third grade school teacher wanted to enroll me in a remedial reading class. And my mom just wasn't having it, Rob. In fact, she marched up to the school and spoke with both the teacher and the principal and informed them that there was nothing wrong with her son, but that he just needed to be challenged. And from that point on, my mom really embedded in me the fact that I could do anything that I put my mind to if I was willing to put in the work. Um, So I believe that from a very early age, she molded me to have a commitment toward excellence. Um, really focusing in on the details and giving it my absolute best. I believe as a result of that, whether it was academically or in sports and athletics or now in my professional career, um, I've, ca- I've carried those qualities with me. Really, really focusing in with a commitment to excellence in everything in which I do, truly trying to be my best. And last but not least, never losing confidence in myself, truly believing that I could accomplish anything in which I put my mind to. I think your mom and my mom would have gotten along very well, because I know my mom was my biggest cheerleader, but she was also my biggest critic as well. So some similar stories there for sure. How about when you were going through the, you know, because I know you've been through a lot of different positions, Um, anything else that helped you shape and mold you along the way? Yeah, there were, there were quite a few. Um, maybe I'll try to identify two which had the biggest impact on me that stand out today. One is the fact that when I first left college, I chose to move into healthcare. And from the very beginning, healthcare segment um, satisfied my deli. It allowed me to both be successful personally and contribute wealth to my family. But at the same time, it also fulfilled my professional deli. It gave me the opportunity to make a contribution to something beyond just myself and specifically the communities in which I serve. I like to 
capture it by saying that I was able to do well while doing well. Um, and in the space of healthcare, specifically pharmaceuticals, I just took off because from the very beginning, I was able to be myself. Um, I was able to engage and connect with key customers, build relationships, while at the same time providing critical information to healthcare professionals that need to make decisions every day to try to save a life. So therefore, whether I was working in anti-infectives, anti-psychotics, diabetes, or now healthcare simulation, I always felt that the contributions in which we were making as an organization truly um, helped to impact the lives of the communities in which we served. And so I believe that from the beginning of my career in healthcare, that really started to shape me. And, and, and I think the take-home message, Rob, is that you can be successful in business if, in fact, you're able to satisfy both of those needs, both the need to satisfy you personally, like financially, as well as your professional needs and the fact that you can do some good for the world. The second major transition point was I did an expatriate assignment while at Roche Labs based in Basel, Switzerland. And I would tell you, Rob, um, from the minute I got off the plane in Zurich, I made every mistake that someone from the U.S. slash North America could make, really. I, I really had no appreciation or value for the cultural differences between the U.S. and other countries around the world. I took work practices from the U.S and try to implement them while being in Switzerland. Let me give you a little background on how folks, at least in the 90s and in the early turn of the century, used to practice while in Europe. They would come to work every morning at 9 a.m. They would take a coffee or cigarette break at 10.30. They would take an hour and a half lunch from 12 to 1.30, then take another coffee break at 3.30, and everyone was out the door at 5 p.m., at least 95% of the organization. And really, no one was available to do work on the weekend. In the U.S., as a contrary, we started meetings at 8 a.m. We would have working meetings through lunch. On many days, we would work way past 5 p.m. And if someone needed, someone needed something done over the weekend, it was easy to pick up the phone, send an email, um, request someone's support. And I took those practices with me to Europe. And I quickly realized that I just was not being as effective as I could be. In fact, one of my colleagues pulled me to the side and said, Ken, we're getting the work done, but you're losing the team at the same time. What I failed to appreciate, Rob, were the cultural differences and the ways in which that society operated in the workplace. Now, fast forward that to today, where the word of the day is uh, diversity and inclusion. I think early on in my career while doing that expatriate assignment, I became sensitized to these cultural differences, whether that was in Europe or me collaborating with colleagues in Asia, was truly to appreciate and value the diversity of the team and then leverage that. Leverage that 
to, to, to the benefit of the organization. And I believe after I changed my practices and adopted to the way in which they operated, we were able to start becoming a high-performing team and exceed expectations of management. I truly believe I was able to hear the team more clearly, as well as respond to their needs in a more actionable way. I'm curious, how long did it take you to make the adjustment? Because it sounded like it was a, a colleague of yours in Europe that gave you that feedback. Yeah, I would say at least the first four to six months while being there, I made all of these mistakes. And I was really oblivious to it, Rob, because I was so focused in on the result. The second thing that I learned as a part of that is that we can only be as effective as the team in which we work with, right? You need to be able to deliver results through others. Yes, Ken, you can have a commitment to excellence. Yes, Ken, you can do your job great, but that's only one portion of what needs to get done. If you can mobilize, motivate, and inspire the team to achieve extraordinary results, you can do something which is amazing. Yeah, great point. And, you know, there's several people who are contemplating doing an expat assignment and who are always debating whether it's a good move for them or not. Just from your experience and perhaps maybe some advice you can, you can provide, what would you say is the best approach that somebody should think through in terms of, of deciding whether or not they should take an assignment like that? Because that's a pretty big commitment. Yeah, absolutely. I think it is an outstanding opportunity, right? I believe that it gives you the opportunity to learn more about your organization from a global perspective and not just from one specific geography, your home geography, whether that be in the US or in another country like China or in Germany. So I think that it gives you more of a global mindset to be able to um, execute a expatriate assignment. Secondly, it takes you out of your comfort zone, right? It, it puts you in an environment where you are less familiar, where routine is a little bit disrupted. And as a result, it teaches you how to be agile and adaptive. And I think in this fast-paced environment in which we work in today, you need to be agile. You need to be able to change gears and change direction when necessary to get back on course, as well as I think that you need to be adaptive, right? So if COVID-19 hasn't taught us anything, it's taught us that we need to be, uh, be able to adapt to new situations. I'm not sure about you, Rob, but since the COVID-19 pandemic has hit us, I've had at least four to six hours worth of Zoom meetings per day, whereas prior to COVID-19, those four to six hours were all face-to-face -face meetings with my team. But nonetheless, we had to continue to be as effective as we were prior to the pandemic. I think we've learned how to adapt. And I believe that an expatriate assignment challenges you to learn how to be agile and adapt. If there's somebody right now who, who is possibly taking on an assignment, if there's one piece of advice you can give them once they arrive, what should they do? Wow. Great question. There is so much. 
um, that I could share. I think one of the first things is set up a bank account, right? <laughs> and learn how to go get your money out of the bank um, because you can get yourself into hot water really quickly if you don't have access to, to, to funds. Secondly, and more seriously, I think that you should really try to immerse yourself in the culture. Connect with your colleagues outside of work if possible. If, there, if you have a chance to go to a colleague's house for a barbecue or an evening dinner, I would encourage you to do that. Secondly, I would encourage you to ch move away from your normal habits of things in which you did in your home country and try to integrate yourself into the country um, that you have moved to. Whether that be the foods that they eat, the music that they listen to, the activities that they do on the weekend. My wife and I, at that time, we didn't have any children. And so one of the things that we learned to love to do after living in Europe was biking. Basel is a biking community. Um, very rarely do you get into your car and go to the grocery store or um, go to the movies. You tend to utilize your bicycle as a form of transportation. To give you an example, my wife bought a new bicycle while in Switzerland. We put a basket on the front and a basket on the back. So as she would run to the store, um, she was able to put the groceries on the bike. On the weekends, we tended to go hiking and go to parks all around Switzerland, Germany, and Italy, which are neighboring countries to Switzerland. And we would really spend time um, trying to get to know the people and learn more about their culture, whether it was in Italy, Germany, or Switzerland, which were all very different. I have to say, as I look back on my career, the one thing that I do regret is not doing some type of expat assignment. I really do believe it. It does grow you in many different ways, culturally and based on some of the things that, that you shared. And I'm curious, Ken, when you came back to the U.S., how did you adjust your leadership style or did you have to readjust when you came back to the U.S. and started leading teams again? How did that impact you? I absolutely was a very different leader after coming back from Europe. One, I was leading a global team before going to Europe, while in Europe, and when coming back. And one of the things that, w while being in the U.S. and being a global leader, you tend to put the U.S. as the priority. It tends to be the biggest and in most therapeutic categories, one of the most profitable markets around the world. So you tend to give it a lot of your attention and energy. However, being in Europe and in Switzerland, I came to appreciate the growth opportunities and the opportunities for accelerated growth beyond the U.S. So when coming back to the U.S., I think that I was able to embark upon my team that, yes, we need to continue to support our U.S. colleagues, but at the same time, we need to ensure that we cultivate the strategy to accelerate growth in other markets around the world. So that was just one practical aspect of doing the job. But secondly, I think I became a far more compassionate leader, a more sensitive leader to the differences of my colleagues. And as I mentioned um, before, I think that I came back with a greater appreciation 
core team and what it was going to take for us to be successful. It was going to take all of us working together to achieve our goals and ambition. I appreciate you sharing that. And, you know, when you came back that you were more compassionate, was there anything specific that you did differently that maybe helped lead to some of your success? Let me just give you one of my philosophies that I think that I built while in Europe and brought back. I, I think that I'm a, a, a pretty a, a pretty good strategist. I think that I'm I, I'm able to pretty much dissect a challenge or an issue or um, gain deep understanding into an opportunity and ultimately develop a strategy that I believe can deliver success. However, coming back from Europe, I think that I learned that the most successful strategies are those strategies that are developed in collaboration with others. And so before I went on this expatriate assignment, I tended to develop strategies which were very clear. They were tight. They were in focus. The clay on the strategy was dry and the, the, the bowl was coming out of the baking oven. However, after coming back on this expatriate assignment, I learned to bring, bring my ideas and concepts to the table, but bring them a little bit out of focus, leaving the clay wet and asking the team to contribute to bringing that, that strategy into focus, to giving it clarity, to bringing it to high definition, to forging that clay to the point where it comes out of the oven. I believe that by doing that, you get the, con the diverse contributions of the entire team. And as a result, everyone is invested in the success. They're not just following Ken's strategy or the leader's strategy, but they are executing on their strategy. Now you can start to hold individuals accountable for their component, right? So we developed this strategy together. If we can clearly define all of the key business objectives associated with that strategy, if we can lay out milestones and make them time bound, now we can monitor, measure, and hold individuals accountable for the achievement of that collective strategy. And if at any point the team feels that we're getting off course, they are more willing to raise their hand and say, listen, I think that there's an opportunity for us to, to get back on track if we do A, B, or Z. I love the analogy of, of the wet clay and, and forming it together with the team. I got to imagine that at first, it must have been uncomfortable for you, right? I mean, because that must have been outside your comfort zone. Absolutely. It's risky, right? So yeah. you think you have all the answers. You've excelled <laughs> to become the leader. You believe that you studied it harder and and better than anyone else. In fact, you might even think that you're the smartest guy in the room, right? But unfortunately, you, you quickly realize that you're not, right? You are much better with the insight, perspectives, and support of the team than you could ever be on your own. But to your point, it's risky because if you fail, if you are unsuccessful, the person that is most accountable tends to be the leader, right? But at the same time, I believe that more often than not, you will be successful than if you fail. 
but you can't be afraid of failure, right? You can't be afraid of, of, of making a mistake because one, every problem has a solution. Never feel that you don't have an option to get out of that situation. So you do have the ability to course correct. But two, if in fact you fail, you fail as a team, right? Or you, you don't achieve your goals as a team. And I believe as a team, you will learn from those experiences. And hopefully you get to move from one quarter of bad performance or one anim of bad performance to a restart, right? And you get to do it over and hopefully be able to do better than you did in the prior cycle based upon those learnings. Yeah, I totally agree. For many of us out there, we do struggle with this where we put that pressure on us as leaders, right? To set the strategy and to come with all the answers. And the reality is we don't have all the answers. And sometimes the best strategies are the ones where you're getting input from your team and you're adapting along the way. And shouldn't they know it better than us, right? So I'm the president and CEO, right? I, I believe that my vice president of manufacturing and operations should know what's going on in the plant much better than me, right? Um, my head of R&D and innovation, I think he should have a much better sense of what the most significant unmet needs are, as well as what the technology is that can solve those needs. So I think that if you can tap into the strengths and capabilities of your team, that strategy becomes that much better. Particularly at those levels, right at your level, you're not as close to it as some of your people are in the trenches. And, and you have to empower them so that they trust you, so that they are comfortable bringing the fact to the table. I think as a, as a team, as a leadership team, we try to operate in an environment of not what it could be, what it should be, what, it, what we might want it to be. But we tend to live in and operate in a world of what is. Any situation, if we know the facts and the issues, we feel that we can come together and address them. Um, if you don't um, empower leaders and build that type of trust, they are far more unwilling to bring that type of information to you. And that can lead to failure or chance. I'm curious, as, as a CEO, do you find it challenging at times where you may not have all the information because you're not as close to it, you know, in, in the trenches? Do, do you find that at, at times challenging or, or have you been able to overcome that through other techniques and approaches? It, it is a challenge, um, but I believe as a leader, you perfect the ability to ask the right question. You, you tend to know how to get to the core of the issue more quickly. And then you can assess and evaluate the risk with the limited information in which you have. So you've got to be very skilled at asking the right questions quickly and empower your team to give you a clear, and a clear answer. It, it's very un, unlikely that you will have 100% of the, uh, of the information that you would desire. So therefore, you need to be comfortable making decisions with limited information. But if, if you make the decision, and back to my point on being able to set up key business objectives, um, milestones, 
and, and a way in which you can monitor and measure your performance, you can see if in fact that decision is taking you to your destination or a little bit off course and try to correct. You know, it's interesting, Ken, as you were talking through that, you were talking about asking the right questions and it reminded me of what you were talking about before about cultures and immersing yourself into the culture and then being able to adapt and, and adjust. And you know that that that's a good point. You know, that's probably one of the skills that I developed while in Europe as well, because Swiss Deutsch or a Swiss dialect of German um, was not my home language. Some things got lost in translation. So therefore, I needed to improve my ability to ask clear questions and get clear answers back. And so I think that over that two and a half year period while on that expatriate assignment, my skill and ability at asking good questions got better. Yeah, it almost forced you to, to some extent. So as, as we're winding down, I, I've got one more question for you. And I love asking this question to individuals like yourself that have tremendous amount of leadership experience. So think back to your very first team. Maybe it was um, probably maybe a district sales manager, the first team you ever took over. Um, thinking back to that team, what do you wish you knew then that you know now? I, I really wish that I knew how to motivate and inspire a team to work together to achieve a common goal while exceeding their individual targets and objectives. If I think back to being that district manager or that regional vice president, I probably did a, a, a good job of setting out the target and motivating individuals to exceed their goals. I probably didn't do as great a job to get individuals to collaborate across boundaries, to get individuals to cheer for the success of the overall team or the organization, as well as give individuals the, the, the willingness to, 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 to support one another. I think if there's one other thing, Rob, that I, I wish I had known then that I don't know now is the comfort and ability to ask for help. If, if in fact, I'm struggling, if, if I was struggling with an issue or a direct report or a business issue or delivering on a strategic opportunity, uh, I was so insecure, I, I felt that I needed to come up with the answer and the solution all by myself. Now, I'm far more comfortable and willing to ask a colleague for help, helping them to understand the challenge that I'm facing and um, soliciting their thoughts and ideas on how I might be able to approach it. And maybe even at the end of the day, asking them to pick up the challenge and help me solve it, whether that be my HR leader, um, whether that be my head of finance, whoever that is, I think that I'm far more comfortable being, being willing to ask for help. And I think that that comes with confidence and experience. I'm so glad you brought that up because I talk about this a lot that, you know, some of the best leaders the one, are the ones who are vulnerable and they're vulnerable because they have the confidence to be vulnerable for the, all the reasons that you just talked about. And I know there's, there's many 
of us right now who's listening to this discussion, maybe first time leading or within a few years. And, and that's normal. We all go through that, right? Nobody wants to admit that they may not have the answer. They don't know what they're doing, but that's the reality. Your first year in, you know, it's, it's a rocky road. There's many things that you have no idea what you're doing. Absolutely. Rob, can I, can I build on that? Oh, you just, you brought back, um, you know, so many memories. I do believe that one of my strengths now is that I am an authentic leader. I am genuine, sincere, and I am here. This is me and all of my splendor. Back 25 years ago, when I burst into the industry, I tried to be like every other leader I saw. Um, I tried to walk, talk, dress, and be like that leader as opposed to being myself. And as a result, I, was, I wasn't my best. I wasn't that vulnerable leader that you just spoke of. I believe now, because of my experience and because of um, my increase in confidence, I'm far more willing to be vulnerable and help the team to understand where there are areas that I have concerns and I might need their help, as well as my passions and drives. When I believe that we can do much better or do much more, I can be authentic in pushing the team and they understand where that comes from. So true, because your people see that. They see right through it in the beginning. They know, but it's refreshing to hear you talk about that. And I think the lesson here for those of you that that might be listening is, you know, it's okay if you don't have the answer to something. You're not gonna, not for everything, but the best resources that you have are reaching out to other peers, other leaders, and relying on them to help you. Great point, Rob. Well, Ken, I loved our discussion. I appreciate you sharing all of your, your journey with us and some of the techniques and I have no doubt that your story will definitely resonate with many listeners out there who can certainly take some of your advice back to their day-to-day activities and make make themselves better leaders. So truly appreciate it. Thank you, Rob. It was great to jam with you today. Um, I wish everyone out there a great day. Stay safe and healthy. Thanks so much for listening in today. If you're interested in learning more about the show or how we can assist you through my leadership consulting company, then please visit my website at leadershipjamsession.com. 